And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So how are you developing business at your startup? How are you growing your revenue, finding new clients, finding new users, finding new buyers? That is what we are going to talk about today and probably a lot more. Now, before we get too far into that, I want to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. That's my company, people. We will help you build a software team quickly and affordably. I want to help you get focused on your project and not on the hiring process. We have over 200 developers ready to help you make your dreams come true. Now, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about developing business and business development tips for startups today. So I brought in a subject matter expert to help me get some more insight along with my own. With me today, I've got Yuri Udowitz, and he is the founder of Advisory. That's A-D-D-Visory. You can go to advisory.co. There's a link in the show notes that'll help you get there even faster. Straight out of Boca Raton, Florida, Yuri, welcome to Startup Hustle. Matt, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and I, pre- I appreciate you joining me. And I always like to say that no one tells the backstory better than the founder. So why don't you give us a little bit of your own backstory before we start talking about business development tips? Absolutely. So again, Ori Udowitz, founder of Advisory here. Um, always felt that the one thing that's missing from a lot of businesses is the what we would like to call the glue guy. Uh, having played basketball at the collegiate level, there was always that one guy on the team or gal on the team who kind of held things together, filled all the gaps, who did the different things that maybe wasn't the most glamorous work, didn't to be the star necessarily, but uh, was responsible for making sure that everything fit, that the puzzle pieces came together. And that's kind of been the story of my career. Um, started out in the real estate space, did well there, was fortunate to work uh, and help a law firm here in Boca grow Uh, It's a good story, maybe for another time, uh, but to help a law firm grow from a boutique 10-person outfit into what is now the fourth largest foreclosure and title firm in the state. Uh, And we scaled that through some interesting business development relationships and some some pretty good luck, which you need as well. Uh, After that, really kind of got the startup bug, uh, started my own companies in the real estate uh, space as ancillary services to real estate and title companies. And then went to work in the in the technology sector, uh, both with a loyalty company and a payments company, and uh, spent my time kind of wearing every single hat there was to wear for a company called Spring Big here in Boca Raton, and uh, started out managing sales, but that quickly developed into uh, business development, capital raise, partnerships, white label opportunities, you name it. Uh, and after my time there was uh, came to came to an end. I uh, decided to go out on my own and, and bring those same skill sets to founders of all types to help them with business development, filling the gaps, uh, making connections, doing all of the things that uh, help a company get to where it needs to go. And so we set out about four years ago to bring advisory to uh, the startup community here in South Florida and beyond. So, you know, your your company does a lot to help founders, as you said, find resources and guidance when it comes to fundraising. And, you know, a lot of startups raise money and then, you know, some of which are doing doing it pre-revenue. And eventually you have to begin to figure out to how to create revenue. And these same founders that are often obsessed with building a product then have to learn or perhaps are forced to think, oh, shit, I got to figure out how to sell something. So when it comes to business development and just improving your startup and all of that, I mean, look, sales cures ales. Uh, Anybody that's sold anything or run a company knows that. But when it comes to the basic business development tips at a startup, I mean, where do you like to begin? 
It's a great question. So, you know, business development, I think, can, can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, for some, it's really more on the, on the product side of things or the customer service side of things. B building a business, developing a business requires each of those verticals, each of those disciplines to be, to be created and developed and, and scaled and, and, and grown. Um, and so what I like to be able to do is to help founders kind of assess their strengths, figure out what is it that you're really good at, and let the founders focus on those things as much as possible while filling those gaps with uh, either my own expertise uh, or bringing in the right experts uh, as, as needed for each of those different companies. Um, you know, developing the business, I think, to, to your point, for most founders, sales is the last area of, of uh, focus and the last area of real strength. Most founders don't come in having a real strong approach to sales. Um, and I think the, the second area that's also difficult to think about in the early stages is, is the partnership side of things. Maybe not direct sales to end users, but how do you build partnerships that are win-win for both the startup as it grows and, and companies that would be your, your target markets. Uh, and I think the, the focus that we've had is to help founders figure out where they can spend their most time. That's part of the business development too. If your strength is in fundraising, then that's where you should be spending time. If that's not your strength and you're, you're on the tech side of things, great. That's where you should be focused and we should you know, sort of uh, insulate the founders to um, operate as much as possible within their strong suits and, and fill those gaps where we can. You know, I think you have a, you hit on a couple good points because I think whenever people think about, well, most people think about business development, they think about increasing sales, growing revenue. But when you look at business development uh, in, a, in a global sense at your company, that means a whole lot of different things because, and things that you need to consider. Okay, so what would happen if, you're, if your sales went up by 30 times today could you support those sales could you continue i mean do you have account management do you have all the stuff uh support service uh i don't know man there's a zillion different things so you know and, and you said another thing that that honestly kind of hurts my heart a little bit when it comes to founders and that's that so many of them are not focused on selling I think the best thing you can do for your for your sales and business development side of things is to start thinking about that immediately. Like like the day like even before day 1 at the business and trying to create relationships, trying to find some users, trying to figure out who your target market is and also having a really strong understanding of who your competition is. You know, like uh, sometimes you're by just examining and learning about your competition, you can figure out what approach you need to be taking, what you need to be defending yourself against and what you well, really, quite honestly, what you need to be building down the road that many of your future clients and customers are going to find benefit from. How important do you think knowing your competition is at the earliest stages of your startup? Yeah, it's it's crucial. It's it's integral to to starting the business. You, I'm a big start with why guy. Love Simon Sinek. I think it's a it's a it's a great book for or you know or TED talk to listen to, uh, depending on the amount of time you have. But you have to start with why. And you know, one of the concepts that exists there is you've really got to sit down and take a look not just at what your own strengths are, but what, what else exists out there. What problem are you solving? Is this a big problem for everyone? Are there people already trying to solve it? Um, the best example I can think of is a company I was considering working with, and they were considering having me come in, uh, you know, come in and, and, and work with them, asked me to, to put a report together on the top 20 competitors uh, within, within the industry. And it was something that already existed, but maybe not as widespread. Um, they actually just asked me to look for the top, you know, what, who are the competitors that are out there? And I was sort of shocked, knowing what I knew about the company, that there were already 25 other companies trying to solve the same problem. And this is like almost eight years ago. So I can only imagine that it's that it's worse now. I think you have with uh, with Shark Tank and, and, and all of the um, access to create startups uh, only growing over the last decade or so. That's become more um, prominent, I would say. So, you know, that you have to start with that. You have to have a good sense of what the landscape is and what, um, you know, what what else exists out there. I'll give you another example. I have a partner who's in the uh, growth marketing space. 
Uh, and one of the things that they do from the growth marketing perspective is before they do anything else, they just place customer phone calls. They just call a, a random assortment of uh, recent customers and say, hey, what was your experience like? Very informal, not, you know, not with a big script, just to try to get a sense of, did you like the product? Did you, you know, was the, was the purchasing experience easy? When you went on our website, was it easy to understand what the product selections were and how to check out and all of those different things? And sometimes that's completely overlooked by the founding team. Uh, everybody's busy. Everybody's got things that they're focusing on. But understanding, to your point, that sales is what drives this. Revenue is what drives this. And having a good understanding of how to uh, position yourself against your competition is, is certainly crucial. Yeah. You know, some of this is still... I recorded another show about an hour before we started this one. So sometimes... I end up with a little bit of information carryover when I do that. And I, you know, I record two shows every Monday. For those of you that didn't know, that's how that sort of part of how some of my shows come down the pipeline. But that's, you know, that's we how the sausage is made. Yes, that, that's it. There you go, people. So you listed for 625 episodes to finally learn that. Congratulations. <laughs> I'll be I'll be revealing more secrets later in the show. So stick around. But no, you know, part of we were talking about creating a, a basic marketing plan. And, you know, part of whether it's for a marketing plan or for business development is understanding your competition. We just talked about that. But also, like, who are you trying to target? Like, who do you really want to be doing business with? Because I think that actually simplifies so much of the process of just general business development. So if you begin to understand who it is that you're trying to sell to, then it makes it a lot easier to figure out who you're trying to develop your business for. Um, on, Uri, I'm shocked at how many, how many companies get you know, just anywhere down the timeline without having really done this. And it's, I think on some levels, it's okay in the beginning, like the earliest stages of a startup to maybe not have this part defined, but often it just does, it, it kind of feels ignored. And I know some, some companies do a great job with it and others don't. Now, when it comes to what you're selling or what you're providing, and those of you that are regular listeners, I, you know what I'm about to say. It's like, first off, have you really truly defined what the benefits of your service product or whatever you're selling are because it's people buy benefits, not features. And uh, once again, I'm often shocked that many, many startup founders and early stage companies do such a poor job of this. Like, and if you can ring that bell, uh, the benefit bell, um, I think you can really get a lot more people's attention and it makes business development a lot easier. So uh, different, different strokes for different folks. There are different, every business and every startup has a different set of needs and, and is solving a different set of problems. But I think those are, are somewhat universal. So, all right. So as we're kind of moving down the line here and, you know, we're talking about like, you know, all right. So we, so we've ident we identify some target customers. Um, we know we might not be sales centric, but we need to be like, how, how, how do you recommend that, uh, that a startup actually begin to pursue people? I love this question. And, and I think I've got some experience in this area. So, you know, first things first is it's just, I love to be able to meet with a client, a potential client, a founder, someone with an idea, it could be super early on, and just whiteboard this stuff out. I love to be able to just sit down and, and take an hour. Uh, and for those of you still using Zoom, which you should, Zoom has a whiteboard feature. You can literally click on a whiteboard and sit and, and draw out uh, all of these different things. If you were looking at my, at my desk right now, you'd see I have a whiteboard with all sorts of, it's, it almost looks like, um, you know, one of those police sketch, you know, trying to connect the dots between all of the suspects in the, in the case. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be sharing that. Maybe nobody wants to know how that sausage is made either. But the, the point is that, you know, for a founder, you, you have to be able to think these things through. And certainly that can evolve over time. Maybe you think this is a great product for, you know, enterprise businesses, and you're going to have to pivot to uh, small businesses or retailers or whatever it may be. Um, and, and, and it's important to, to think that things through. And you can certainly have a theory about where we think we're going to have the most success. Maybe we'll have a lot of success with restaurants. Maybe this will be more successful with, um, with you know, uh, nail salons. We're not sure where this will be successful, but at least we've identified where these are going to go. And then maybe beta test something like that. I have a recent client who's working on something uh, in the financial space. 
And for his beta, which was oversubscribed, uh, initially wanted 60 clients to come in, ended up with about 200 in his beta, but was very selective about how he wanted to look at that. He wanted five from each different of the verticals uh, that, that were selected. And in that way, he could really start to gain an appreciation and understanding and feedback of what's working, what do the clients want, what's interesting, what 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 things that he theorized about were now going to be uh, become true. Um, and so I think there's there's a little bit of that. You have to start with some idea in your mind and, and write it out, strategize it out, whiteboard it out so that you can have a sense of where that might be. Some of your theories will prove to be true. Others, others may not be proved to be true. Um, just to share a quick story, I think, on, on this that, that brings it to light as well. One of the things that we did uh, in, in my days in the loyalty marketing space, we, were, we built a loyalty technology for, uh, for the small business retailer. Um, and we had identified the verticals where we thought there would be a lot of success, and we knew where we were going with it. Two things that we did, one, one we implemented, one we did not. We, we did some research and found that uh, nail salons at the time, I believe 62% of the thousands of nail salons in this country had uh, Vietnamese American owners. And so we actually thought for a time we would hire a salesperson who spoke Vietnamese so that we could um, we could address that and we could say, okay, well, you know, if there's, let's say, I don't know, I forget what the number was, but let's say it was 3,000 nail salons that we could offer this service to and we could get, you know, even if we got 10% of that market share, that's a very nice vertical and would certainly justify having a salesperson who spoke Vietnamese. Uh, we did not end up implementing that uh, for a variety of reasons. One that we did implement is we also found, you know, we thought our target market was small business retailers. But what we found is that we needed small business retailers who were already offering some sort of coupon or service or, or discount to customers. And um, we were very fortunate to have hired a, a um a, uh, a developer who had some previous experience with APIs and was able to run an API to one of the largest online coupon companies. I won't say which one, but we ran a, we ran this. Um, we were able to run an API where all of the data was able and literally overnight, within a matter of a couple of hours, we had seventy thousand new leads in our system who were offering buy one, get one free pizza or 20% off Tuesday or whatever it may be, we're offering that on this online coupon site. And now we had the name of the business, the, the address of the business, the phone number, the email, what the offer was, all of this stuff was so, it didn't cost us anything to get this data. And we were then able to go and have our salespeople directly call and say, hey, I saw this online, I saw your offer. We'd love to help you get your customers to come back in. Here's what we can offer you in terms of how you can do that. And that proved to be a very successful and a pretty good bootstrap strategy. By the way, that that just reminds me that's the kind of stuff that I do. So I'm gonna I'm gonna praise you. And I uh that that's marketing hacking, folks. And that's uh many of my friends that know me will call me a mad scientist. Uh, it's like you know, at full scale, and that's who's, and once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. So you look at the same thing, like, so it, when you're in the very beginning of a business development strategy and you're trying to figure out, there's a couple of things you said that, well, one, you kind of gave the, you painted the picture of the, like, uh, the, the, the true crime you know, the pens and the strings and let's try to make the connections. But look, that's really what business development is in the beginning. You're a detective. You're a detective. You're seeking forensic knowledge and information and any path that leads you towards something. And there's three key words in the beginning, test, test, test. So you're going to run some tests and they're going to fail. Move on. Your favorite words are both four lettered, next and sold right? If you don't yeah. sell something, you say next and you move on down the line and you got to be ready to rage, rest and repeat when it comes to all this. And like my business development strategy in early stage business is simple. I'm looking for a crack. And when I find it, my next job is to try to figure out how quickly I can shove an elephant through it. And that's <laughs> the same thing. So you talk about like, like that's a brilliant strategy. There's, you can, you know, you can pull this data, you can find it. So at full scale, 
uh, any for us, you know, there's literally hundreds of thousands of companies that could hire us and use our development services. And 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 here's the thing: is at first you can look at that and you go, "Oh man, that's a strength." No, it's not. Because when you look at when you look at whatever you're selling, you're going, "Anybody could use this." You're going to quickly find yourself going, "Oh God, anybody could use this." So who are you? You got to narrow that scope down and try to figure out who you're going to be approaching, who you're going to be working to. Now, in our case of full scale, it's pretty easy because people that are posting that they that they're hiring for jobs we can fill that they would might want to utilize our team for. That's a hell of a lead. And they're everywhere. They're literally everywhere. So if you're wondering where to start, you can reverse engineer so much of your business development strategy. Just like you said, let's let's we can pull data and see, okay, here's uh, a whole lot of people that are already using these kind of coupons. Now, some of the things too that you can also do is begin to exclude. All right, so I'm also the founder of Gigabook. Now with Gigabook, that's online appointment setting, but we made a fully customizable platform so it was not industry specific, which means we are not the best option for hair salons. Why? Because there's like 10 other platforms that are meant just for that. Okay, next, move on down the line. And you can begin to exclude a few things. And then, you know, like you said, and by the way, I love the strategy. I, I really wish you had used it with the nail salons. Because in certain cases, you can really appeal to certain people that, I mean, and sometimes like I could see if you were a Vietnamese business owner in the United States, you might, you, it, that could feel a little isolated, or maybe you just want to talk to someone that feels familiar, that sounds familiar, all of that. So, I mean, that, I bet that approach would have worked quite honestly. I bet it would. I'm not sure why you didn't use it, but, but I think it probably would have worked. Okay. So now we've identified some people and we're going out there. Uh, one thing you need to understand folks is sales is not one of those things where you win 90% of the time. So I think you got to start kind of tracking. You got to begin to track how many people you're talking to. You have to start to understand how many phone calls, how many emails, how many ad clicks, how many coupons, how many doors do I have to on and you know, so you can see, start to begin to define, okay, if we're going to chase this way, it's 10, 100, 300, and otherwise down the road. Uri, what are your tips for like beginning to like, now that, now that we know that we're detectives, we're sales detectives, how do we begin to know if we're on a good lead or not? Great question. I think there's two parts to that. One is, do you, is you know in terms of understanding your metrics so again starting with why go into your day or go into your approach with a particular vertical saying here's what i think the metrics are so we've had sales teams i've had sales teams in the in the credit card processing space where you know we'd run an ad and this is very old this is very old school in terms of a sales approach but it's part of my experience we had a recruiter we'd run an ad in career builder and and indeed and wherever else we ran ads and we'd get, you know, every day, a hundred responses. Uh, and so the recruiter spent all day going through these responses and he knew that his metrics were he had to make a hundred phone calls every day. He made 130, felt really good about himself or herself. Uh, if they only made 90, felt like they didn't accomplish enough that day. So hundred phone calls, you're going to get about, you know, 50, no answers, no, you know, hangups. Maybe you get in touch with 50, maybe 20, even let you go halfway through your script, maybe seven, will actually uh, show up to whatever it is you're asking them to do, typically a training. Uh, and then, you know, three actually go out and sell for you and one actually makes a sale. The, that, that is just, I mean, that math is brutal, but it is the reality of, of going through a sales process. And so I think the first is to get a, to have the same theory that you have about who your clients are going to be, put a theory out there about what you think those metrics are. For every hundred contacts that we make, for every thousand people we email, what are we, what's the response rate that we're going to get on this sort of thing and then how do we put them through and then you can start to tweak that and again to your point about testing some of the stuff is going to is going to naturally you're going to say i don't want to talk to that group of people I'll give you an example with our with our retail technology uh business with our uh, loyalty technology originally we had some feet on the street salespeople. again i'm talking very old school and they would walk into retailers to to sell uh the solution 
And we use South Florida as our testing ground, and I hope I'm not insulting anyone by saying this, but we felt that South Florida was a particularly tough market to, to crack into first. Primarily, one of the reasons was because the owners were almost never in the store. So if you actually got the owner in the store and didn't get an attitude from them, you were, you were, you know, uh, you were pretty lucky. Um, and so we wanted to test that so that we could better understand in markets. And then we found that you know, calling uh, retailers in Ohio and Michigan and Nebraska uh, we just we just clicked in terms of their personality. They were happy to answer the phone. They were happy to get on the phone and hear about a solution. They were happy to learn more about how to how to get new customers coming in. Um, and so all of those things I think contributed to understanding that. So I think number one is is sort of understanding your metrics and, and knowing uh, you know how to how to focus that as best as possible. The second I think has to do with feedback. As you're starting to get rejections, and we all get rejections in sales, it's understanding which feedback to accept and which feedback to let go in one ear and, and out the other. And once you start to get a really good sense of, you know, okay, well, nine out of 10 calls that you're making telling you your, your pricing is way out of line, now you've got something that you need to start considering. Uh, if nine out of 10 are telling you that you're calling at a terrible time, uh, or why are you calling altogether? Just send me an email. Okay, then that maybe that's a that's a strategy that you need to tweak. If one person is telling you, you know, I don't like that you called me during dinner time, maybe that's not you know enough of a of a um, core focus to to take your eyes off of what you're doing. Um, and so I think that's those are really kind of the two things: understanding what your metrics should be, and then figuring out how you tweak what you're doing based off of feedback. To, to really blow it out of the water. And to your point, you know, this is where testing really comes in, comes in well. Is it a small sample size? I'm a big, I'm a big NBA fan. I like watching games. A lot of it has boiled down to what the numbers are. But in my, and I coach high school basketball as well. And even with the, at the high school level, it's important to have, have an understanding of what the numbers look like. Before we even go out and pick up a basketball, I will tell my team, I go, okay, we're going to get maybe 50 possessions every game. Well, if we have 50 possessions and we turn it over 20 times, now we've got 30 possessions with which to score. If we're going to miss, you know, 60% of our shots, now, now I'm getting into the math. Let's go 50. So now we've got 15 shots that we have to make. If they're all two-pointers, we scored 30 points that game. That's not a winning formula. So how do we, how do we increase 1% or 2% in each of these different areas so there are fewer turnovers, so that we score on the easier baskets, so that we get to the free throw line? All of those things uh, contribute to making the big difference between whether a startup is successful or ultimately fails. Yeah, there's something you said in regards to, to the feedback and, you know, like all that, that I just refer to as addressing the echo or listening to it. Now, uh, the echo is is when you just hear the resounding message that's um, that, what uh, you know, you mentioned, what, what were the couple examples you meant? One, one of them was, why, why'd you call me during dinner? Why didn't you send me an email? And then there was one more Um Anyway, you know, that that echo is oh pricing, your price is too high, your price is too high, your price is too high. Now, if you hear that from enough people, it becomes a real thing. It's 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 probably legitimate. Now, the thing you do want to avoid in area, I think you nailed it is like the one person that's like, you know, fuck you, don't call me. You know, yeah. you're going to call enough people, someone's going to say that to you. I mean, it, it's just it's just the way it goes. Uh, it, it might be me. And it might be me, you know, because I mean, that's just the way it goes. Now, I think one of the things when you're when you're beginning a business development strategy and in a pitch and a brand message is first off, what is your brand message? How quickly can you get that in my ear, my eyes or my hands with, and get me to understand it before I say next to move on myself? But with that, you got to understand some basic reasons and, and that people buy stuff and, you know, and so I, I got a list here. I'm going to go through a few of them just real quick so you understand. These are the reasons that people actually buy stuff. One, they have a basic need, right? These are just like food, shelter, stuff like that. Convenience. Sometimes it's where you're selling it that makes it convenient to buy. Um, replacement. That means like, for example, uh, you know, at some point they sold a shitload of DVD players because the VCR was no longer a thing. Right. Yeah. I bet it's hard to sell DVD players now. Just saying. So some of that's about replacement. Yes. Scarcity. Now, scarcity is something I know a whole lot about because I was in the ticket business for eight years. And that is 100 percent scarcity. 
So sometimes people buy things and they buy it quicker because they're afraid that it won't be available or it's exclusive or there's a very small amount of it. Uh, prestige or a aspirational purchases. Why do you think sneakers and fashion are what they are? A $80 t-shirt from Supreme is actually made on a shittier t-shirt stock than the $8 t-shirt I'm wearing right now that I printed, but it might not be as cool. You have things like emotional vacuums, lower pricing, uh, value. Value is a big thing, you know, uh, name recognition. Uh, they find it, people find it to be innovative. It's a compulsory purchase, ego, uh, niche, peer pressure. You have like the Girl Scout effect. Like yeah. people feel like they're a bad person for not buying the Girl Scout cookies. Like, dude, if you've met me, you know, I don't need any more cookies, you know, but I'll buy them anyway because I feel bad. And I remember what it was like to sell stuff when I was a little kid. I buy way too many Girl Scout cookies. And now I'm not, a, if you're listening, don't send me your, your orders. I've already got, <laughs> I've already got a bunch of, it. you have things like guilt, empathy, addiction, fear, and indulgence. Now, here's the thing. You got to know why people are buying your product or why they need it or want it. In the case of Gigabook, when we began to market it, at first I thought that people would appreciate the, the efficiency that an online schedule, booking, and billing tool would provide. And I realized that no one cared about that. They cared about getting their peace of mind back. They didn't want to be up all night answering emails, doing scheduling. They didn't want to feel bothered while they were providing service for one client that they were missing an opportunity to get another person. So we changed our approach to like, hey, do you want to unchain yourself from your business? Do you want some peace of mind? Because this will work for you all day, every day and provide that with you. And that our sales went up and people were much more excited about that. So you know, if you, like I said, if you listen to the show, you know, I'm a benefits based seller. What benefits are you going to provide the people that you are trying to reach? Because if you can lead with that need in these conversations and this outreach, I think you're going to find exponential higher growth in your results as well as exponentially better results for, you know, it's like if I call you, I'm like, Uri, hi, Uri, my name's Matt. How are you doing today? I'm immediately thinking, why are you calling me? Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, some of that I want to get in your ear. It's like, hey, Ari, my name is Matt. I do a lot to help businesses like yours grow. You got a minute? That might get my attention. I don't know. Right. There's a zillion different approaches. But so you obviously got a lot of reps in. And by the way, that's another thing that's important. Get your reps in. Meaning like not your sales reps, but your repetitions. Get out there. Hear what people have to say. Like be in touch. Have your finger on the pulse of the marketplace and the competition and all that. But were there any things or any tips or tricks that you learned that will help people pay attention a little more while you're trying to, to get them into your fold? Yeah, I think, I think what it comes down to is a question of your own personality and style. Um, we, we've had, I've run sales teams where we've had, you know, veteran, we had a 30 year veteran sales guy who was unbelievable on the phone at just, you know, he would tell any story he possibly could to get a sale and we would marvel at what he did, but it didn't. And it worked. He, he was a very good salesperson, but it wasn't really authentic to our brand and it wasn't authentic to what we were trying to sell. So he would, he would try to get, you know, anybody to take advantage of the 30 day free trial or whatever the offer was at that particular time. And he would close deals, but his deals ultimately would not be long lasting customers. And that's really what we were trying to build uh, in that particular uh, venture. And, and so I think it's about personality and authenticity. So I'm an introvert by nature, very comfortable for me to have a conversation with, with you like this, less comfortable to go. I actually went to a first of a, the first, uh, uh, in-person networking event that I was invited to here in the city of Boca for uh, for Boca Tech and, and some of the stuff that's being built here. And I, I, I went, it's the first time I'd gone to like an in-person event like that since the beginning of the pandemic. And I got there and five minutes later, I'm like, I can't, I'm not ready for this. I, I have to go home. So, uh, so I did. And I'm by nature an introvert, but that doesn't mean introverts can't sell. It doesn't mean that introverts can't build a relationship. Mm -hmm. Everybody has to do it in the style and the personality with the product that they feel comfortable and authentically feel like they're connecting with their, with their partner, their customer, their client, whatever that relationship may be. And so, so I would say to answer your question, the, the purpose of what we do when we're selling is to create that level of connection. 
and to articulate as clearly as possible what those benefits are. Fear-based selling is, is going out the window. There's still places where oh, yeah. it works, but, but what people want is just tell me what the benefits are. Be as crystal clear as you possibly can. And you see that in, in, in the consistency, hopefully, of the communication throughout a brand's uh, or a startup's uh, experience. If you're on their website, if you're talking to a salesperson, a customer service rep, the founder, all of that should be, should be uniform language that's being used throughout the organization to express those messages. And the more clear you are about what those benefits are, the easier it is for the consumer to make the choice on their own. It doesn't have to be that I'm now coercing someone or selling someone into doing something. We all have all of the, the entire history of humanity at our fingertips in, 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 in knowledge and history and everything that we have available to us on this glorious thing we call the internet. And we can go and look and research and find all of this stuff. So how do you create a full full scale strategy? There, I use full scale uh, strategy. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, promotional consideration uh, for for building that in, 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 a, in a strategy around getting somebody to see what the benefits are of your particular product and then to have access to be able to go through that process. You could articulate the benefits perfectly and then they get to your, your website. I, here's an example. I ordered uh, dinner last night. And the way this pizza, local pizza restaurant uh, set up their site was the most confusing thing I've ever seen. The price of the slices or the price of the pizza is between $3.95 and $20. Well, which one is it? What am I ordering? Did I order a slice? Yeah. Did I order a pie? I don't know. I couldn't, I really couldn't tell. And I'm really not that, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty tech savvy when it comes to these things and felt like it didn't give me a good customer experience. So while I love their pizza, I probably will just call them next time. Uh, instead of ordering it that way. And I think you have to have uh, both from the benefits perspective of what you're selling uh, and the ability for the consumer to go and, and go through the entire experience uh, in a meaningful way is really what's most important. So I, I made a few notes while you were chatting and uh, we, we, we guaranteed earlier in the show to continue uh, showing how the sausage was made. Um, I come into these episodes and I, and I actually talk to the guests and I say, you know, this is a conversational show, so you can ask me questions. And I do, while I have a couple bullet points, I like to keep it organic because I think that that's when we get the juices flowing. There we go. See, like I said, we're, but I'm being authentic. I'm telling you exactly like how things work. And people want to do business with authentic people. We are, uh, we are past, well, there's always going to be people that are full of shit to some degree, somewhere, all the time. They're, they're everywhere. But, yeah but people's bullshit detectors have become very refined over time. And they're also like, you know, a confused mind almost always says no. And you can confuse someone by not being not, not authentic. You can also confuse people. Like you said, like, is this pizza four bucks or it's 20 bucks or what is it? And, why, and then you're thinking, why is it so difficult for me to order a pizza? Like, yeah. I'm just hungry, like pepperoni right or whatever like yeah get it to me but you know when it comes to to what you're selling you have a there's a, a life cycle to every sale that exists now at full scale if a client reaches out to us there's zero percent chance that i'm gonna sign that person that day have them in have a deposit in have a resource lined up all of that it just doesn't happen we don't want it to happen that way we want to learn as much about our clients before we sign them on as they want to learn about us now certain things if you're you, know, you mentioned you're an introvert so you wouldn't have been a very good barker like the people that are like in the middle of it like the kiosk in the mall that like aren't just yelling at people going one way but both ways like come on here let me rub some shit on your face and see if you like it and maybe you'll buy it look i wouldn't be good at that either because i don't like being like that so part of the authenticity of your approach to business development does need to fit the persona not only of yourself but of your company and like at full scale we're very consultative so we want to do some listening and that yeah. listening is like the key thing. Like you mentioned working around a bunch of different salespeople, you will find the most successful salespeople aren't good talkers. They're good listeners. And they're listening because they are, once again, back to this detective-based mindset. They usually offer various products or solutions. They want to hear what's important to you. And then they narrow that down into a solution that begins to make sense. Now, that said, I hate it when salespeople blow everything out of the water because they don't get what they want immediately, all right? You will find that if you follow up 
You got to follow up with people. You have to stay on them. Why? Because first off, there's other people out there offering similar solutions. And also business owners and people, they're, they're, we're busy thinking about our own stuff, not sitting around all day, every day, thinking about what you sell. So you can begin to create the habits of good business, of good solution selling, of good follow-up, good customer support with your follow-up process. And then the main thing is, is you need to be ready to ask for people's business. And I think if we went and had a whole episode about business development tips and we didn't talk a little bit about the importance of asking for the sale, asking for the opportunity, asking for the business, this wouldn't be a very good episode. So have you found that I, I personally think that any sales organization can increase their sales immediately if they can train their sales staff and everyone, everything that goes in and out to ask call to action. Uh, do you want to go ahead and get this? Click here to buy something. And, you know, you don't, I don't think you see anything that's successful where you have to hunt to figure out how to, no one wants to have, solve the mystery of how do I give you money, right? So that's yeah. something, that's a mystery that you shouldn't have to solve. What are your thoughts and tips in that regard, Uri? I, I would just say similar to what we're doing right now, that sales in general, business development is an ongoing conversation. And I really try 99.99% of the time to make sure that even if someone is not buying something, we're not going forward with the partnership, we're not doing the deal right now, that, that bridges aren't burnt, that we continue to have an ongoing developing conversation. And what I've actually found is that more often than not, even if we didn't get the sale or do the partnership deal today, there's always something in the news cycle. There's always some new development. There's always something that you can use to go back and continue and reopen those conversations. Um, working on, I'm running business development for a group right now with a project that the founder has been working on for seven years and hasn't really launched publicly yet, but we've been having conversations with partners and we have some exciting news that hopefully will launch next month. Um, but we've been sort of operating in the shadows. I don't mean to say that it's not something that's appropriate or we just, we've just been in, uh, in sort of silent mode, but having conversations with potential partners. And, you know, when, as we try to communicate the, the benefit of working with us, every few months there's some new information that comes to light about things that we're working on or a new press release that we can put out that makes, it, uh, that makes those benefits even greater, that builds our brand, that says, oh, wow, what you guys are doing is really powerful, is really interesting. We have to get on board with that. And so, so I think it is important to continue, not continually, but to at the appropriate times, ask for those things that you're looking for. We're looking for partners. We're looking for your help and to create advocates too. This is something that I've always felt really personally strongly about as maybe it's because I'm an introvert is to say, how do we find five people, 10 people, hundred people, thousand people that are going to do my job with me alongside with me, whether that's getting a referral agreement or whether that's just their advocates and they're good connectors. It's finding those kinds of people as well who can amplify the brand message and say, okay, I know I'm selling this and I, I'm doing that professionally, personally for myself, but I've got 20 other people, 100 people that are raving fans who are also out there uh, on a periodic basis going out to the market and saying, there's a benefit to this program, this product, you got to talk to Ori, you got to see what's going on over here. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, that's, that's a, another thing too, is, you know, be, I, I think you should be ready when you have those evangelists to hook them up too. Now at full scale, we give our clients a $2,500 uh, credit if they lead us to someone else that ends up being a paying client. And honestly, that's cheap. That's yeah. cheap. Like that's not, that's not expensive. We don't start, we're not a high volume. Well, we are high volume because we have over 200 service providers under our, in our organization. But I mean, we service 50 different companies, you know, it's not like we have 5,000. So we look for the right people, but I mean, overall like that, I mean, that's the key ingredient. Now, speaking of the key ingredient, the key ingredient to being a startup hustle listener is knowing that I am not the only host of this show, but when I am, I like to end my shows with what we call the founders freestyle. Now I said, I'm not the only host. Make sure you tune in on Tuesdays to learn more about e-commerce and Amazon brand selling from Andrew Morgans, the CEO founder of Marknology. On Thursdays, you can tune in and join Lauren Conaway, the founder and CEO 
of Innovate Her KC. Go to innovatorkc.org. Sign up or make a donation. Lauren would appreciate it. She does a lot of really great stuff. If you haven't had enough Startup Hustle at that point, go over to the YouTube. Just type, up, type in Startup Hustle in the search bar. You'll find our new YouTube channel that just came out earlier this year. Thank you to the nearly 3,000 people that have decided to subscribe to that already. We're working hard for you, but we need more of you. So come on by. A uh, couple knowledge-based, uh, a couple knowledge-based uh, episodes a week, and by the time this episode comes out, we will have already published our episode about haters. I'm really looking forward to that one. So uh, we are addressing the things that we think founders care about and trying to give you some extra input. And yeah, we have a wider cast on that one than we do here on the show. Now, I mentioned the Founders Freestyle earlier. I like to end my episodes by giving my guests a chance to kind of have a little freestyle at the end. You can uh, say about whatever you want. I don't know if there's things that we may have missed, points that you want to make. Uh, and really, in the end, I mean, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit uh, of advice you might have for founders, especially startup founders that are trying to get a business development plan going at all. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty straightforward and simple, and I appreciate the time to to deliver this message. But you know, founders, you're out there. This this time, I have found that over the last year plus of the pandemic, that this has become a time to shoot your shot. That's become the new catchphrase, right? Shoot your shot. And founders, you're you're out there. You got to give it all you got. It, it may sound cliche, but you're out there. So go forward as strongly as you possibly can and shoot your shot. Look for those places. Don't feel like you have, you know, one opportunity to pitch to uh, a potential client. Y you never know. We, we uh, just as an example, we recently were doing a deal in the healthcare space, and we we sort of kept getting pushback and pushback. It's not the right time. It's not the right time. We don't want to sign this document. We're we're interested, but we're not interested. And what we found out was that there was a shakeup at the at the top levels that we didn't know anything about, and they couldn't share with us. And once that took place, because of our persistency and because of our desire to do this deal and the one champion that we had from outside our organization who kept pushing for it as well, we were able to, to get an MOU in place and we're, we're forging ahead on uh, a number of different deals, which we're very excited about. So my, my one piece of advice is to founders, forge ahead, keep going strongly. If business development is not your strongest suit, that's okay. Reach out for help from your community, from your friends, from other founders, uh, certainly, I, we would, here at Advisory would be happy to help. I know the team at Full Scale would be happy to help. It's about startup hustle. That's what this podcast is about. But this is if you're a founder out there, that's what you should be focused on. It's the hustle, the hustle, the hustle. But it doesn't mean you have to do it all on your own. It doesn't have to be all on your shoulders. So go out there and make it happen. You know, a and I get a freestyle as well. And so here we go. I, you know, I have a couple of takeaways here. One, my, I think the best, I'm going to start with my best advice. My best advice for any early stage company is start your business development strategy now. Like, don't wait. I see people wait too long and that is a, it never works out well. Um, you got to begin, like, even if it's at the smallest scale, doing so many of the things that get your brand out there. These things don't always happen quickly. If you don't have a budget, you do have a budget, your own time. You can do things. You can create content. You can create value-added articles. You have to begin to do things that, you know, like don't suddenly get to the point where you're ready to launch your product. And when someone Googles who you are, they get one response because you haven't got your name out there. Like, once again, these things take time. So eat that elephant one bite at a time. Maybe even start with the tail, you know, and start. You can do something every day. But make sure you do it and begin to understand what the benefits that your product provides, begin to understand basic things. And, you know, because these strategies, they don't come together in like an hour at a conference table. Sometimes they get improved in an hour at a conference table. But the thing is, is you got to get out there and you got to start doing it. And then you mentioned something early. It's like you said, if you aren't, if, if for some reason, business development, sales, marketing, revenue generation, organizational building, all that stuff aren't your strong suit. You need to go find someone who does that stuff naturally and hang on to them. Okay. If you are not good at selling stuff, now look, I'll, here's litmus test one. 
do you like selling stuff and get excited when you sell stuff? If the answer to both of those isn't fuck yeah, you need to go find someone who it is. And yeah. sorry, there's no other two. Those are the words. I, I don't like to use profanity all the time. But in that case, that needs to be the response. Because if that isn't you, you're going to be mediocre. You're just going to not because you're not you don't like it. It doesn't drive you. It doesn't stir you up. You're not passionate about it. Go find someone that is. They're probably going to be expensive if they're good, and it will be worth every single penny of it if you find the right person. Now, also, a couple other notes that I had from the show. Be authentic. Look, it's okay. You don't have to have, like, you can make a video for your website or your YouTube or your Facebook page or anything you probably have everything you need in your pocket right now. We walk around. If you have a smartphone, you have a movie studio, a sound studio, you have it all. You have everything you need to begin to record content. That's another thing you get better at. Uh, listen to what your potential clients have to say. Be solutions oriented because it's never about you. It's always about who you're selling to, the solution that you offer. Make sure to follow up. Look, people aren't going to come chase you down to give you money. That is really, really, really rare if it even occurs at all. And then in the end, don't be afraid to ask. You got to practice, practice, practice. But if you ask for the sale, you are going to get the people that are on the fence. They're like, I've literally bought things in life because I was so excited that a salesperson actually asked me to buy it. I'm talking about shit that I didn't even need or want. Like, that's how rare it is that people actually ask for the sale. Like, I am randomly buying stuff that I don't even care about because I'm so shocked that someone said, hey, do you want to buy this? You know what? I do. And I don't even need it because that's how rare it is. <laughs> but if you can be the person that asks, you're going to get a hell of a lot more sales. So make sure you ask, make sure your website asks, make sure your emails ask, make sure everything asks, including your salespeople, just get in the habit. And look, you don't need a crazy course and 10,000 hours of training. You just need to be able to say this. Did you want to go ahead and get this? Did you want to go ahead? And, when can we get started? These are simple ways to ask someone to buy someone, buy something that works, and I want you to try them. If they don't work, email me and tell me I'm, I, I'm terrible and I don't know what I'm talking about. But I guarantee you, you won't need to send that email because when you ask, you will get more than when you don't. Uri, thank you so much for your time. And for those of you that want to check out more about advisory, once again, there's a link in the show notes. I'll catch up with you down the road, my friend. Thank you so much. Really a pleasure. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.